2: So this morning I read in Oswald Chambers, my utmost far His highest, he, he said, our lives are like a mirror. When people look at us, they should see the glory of God. So if you're a Christ follower and people are looking at you and they don't see that, something has tarnished the face of the mirror. You're blocking that. copy of God's Word and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. I distinctively remember the Sunday evening that we drove from Harchville, South Carolina to Darlington, where my mother grew up, to attend the Pentecostal Holiness Church that she attended. Now, my mom grew up in that church, but she married a, a man who, after a, a stint in the Marines, became a Baptist preacher. And so we were going for a special service, and my mom felt like she needed to prep me; she needed to prepare me. So she she was telling me, "Hey, you might see some things you haven't seen. There, you might hear some things you you haven't heard." And I, I remember just kind of looking at her and wondering what she was talking about, and 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 she was telling me, well, you know, they worship a, a little differently than we do. And I don't think she outright said it, but she was preparing me to experience what would be described as speaking in tongues. And um, here's what I remember from that evening. Nothing eventful. <laughs> I mean, it was like after all, it's like being told this is a great movie, and then you go in, and it's like a dud. I mean, it wasn't anything that spectacular or exciting, and I, I did it experience uh what she had advised me about she told me by the way here's what you do whatever you here, you just sit down and be quiet <laughs> so i did my part um i do remember this though i remember as a child understanding from that moment uh, that well-meaning bible believing jesus honoring people can express their faith in different ways and it doesn 't have to be a big disagreement or a big division and and that only grew as as I grew and as I matured and, and I went off to college and, and met people from around the country I went to seminary and met people from around the world, and then I pastored in different cities and and then I traveled to different countries and and I realized that, that God is at work all around us. And, and sometimes He's expressing Himself in different ways, always consistent with His Word. Uh, but I, I just have, have learned and cemented that truth in my mind that, that well-meaning, Bible-believing, Jesus-honoring people, you know, can come about their worship of the Lord in a little different ways. And and so, really, as I begin to study the Bible, I recognize what that means is there are some issues that are kind of first-tier issues, and there are other issues that are, are second- or third-tier issues. And on those first-tier issues, we've, we've got to agree if we're going to walk hand-in-hand, hand. but on those other issues, we have a little room. You might think of them as, as closed-fisted issues and open-handed issues. So there's some closed-fisted issues, like uh, Jesus is the only way for a person to be saved, that's, you know, we're not going to debate that. We're not going to talk whether or not that's true. I mean, that's, a, that's an issue. If, if you're going to walk as a part of the Christian faith, you've got to accept that. Here's another one. Uh, Jesus was born of a virgin. He, he lived a sinless life, and yet he died a criminal's death on the cross for our sins. He was buried and then three days later, he arose, right? That's, that's an issue I'm, I'm going to go to my grave with. I'm not, there's not really room for disagreement on that issue in the faith. Here's another one. I love this one. Jesus, who who came and was born in a virgin, and he died, and he was buried, and he rose again. He's coming again. He's coming again. And, man, Scripture teaches that, and that's worth celebrating, and we're not going to disagree about But But when's he coming kind of one of those open-handed issues isn't it we can we can have a little room for discussion there because the bible doesn't explicitly say it we know some of the signs of the times we we know some of the things we might look for but we face that a little more open-handedly we're kind we're we're compassionate we love one another as we talk about these things sometimes we just embrace the reality yep there's a god but I'm just Paul. There's a God, but you're not God. You, he has his job, and, and we have ours. Ours is to, to follow his commands, to, to do his will, to honor his name. But sometimes we don't have to understand everything, right? It gets a little tricky. Like the Bible teaches about the sovereignty of God. God is sovereign. He, he knows everything, and it uses words like this. He says, you were elected, and, and you were predestined for your salvation, And the same Bible (laughs) says, uh, whosoever will can come to him. And it tells us that we're created in the image of God with a freedom of our will. How do those two work together? I don't know. There's God, but I'm just Paul. Right? So I embrace some of that mystery. And in our faith journey, we get in trouble when we, we begin to make absolute convictional stances and and we draw lines and and we argue and divide over some of these issues that may may just not be crystal clear in scripture we forget that well-meaning bible believing jesus honoring people may come to a different point of understanding doesn't mean we ignore these things right And so today we're going to tackle one of those, and and, and I've tried to set this up because I need you to understand that we may walk away with a different understanding of this because we've got all kinds of things that have have formed our understanding of this topic, but it's a, a scriptural topic, so we can't ignore it. I will be like the people I read about yesterday morning in my, my time in God's word. I'm just going through the Bible. and I was in Matthew 22. And what a great chapter because it begins, the Pharisees are trying to, they're trying to trick Jesus again and again and again and again and again. And so they first come to him and they pull a coin out of their pocket and they say, you know, they want us to give our money to the government. What do you think? And Jesus says, let me see the coin. And he says, who's, who's on that coin? And they say, Caesar. And then he says, you know it, render to Caesar that which is Caesar's. And then the end of the chapter, man, they're ready to stump them because there's 13,000 laws that they've come up. From the original 10, they've kind of broken them down. Now there's 13,000 laws. And they say, Jesus, what's the most important law? And you know, he he didn't even hiccup. He's like, uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love God passionately. Love others intentionally, right? But in the middle of that, there's this crazy story. The Pharisees come to him and they say, all right, Moses told us, in other words, according to the law, if if a man dies and he has a brother, his brother is to marry the widow and take care of her. But let's just suppose there were seven brothers and they all die off one after another, Jesus. Who's going to be the husband in heaven? And you know what Jesus does? Matthew 22, go back and read it. He says, y'all crazy. Y'all focusing on the wrong things. And and by the way, just time out. I think often God would look at the church today and he'd say, y'all crazy. Y'all focusing on the wrong thing. And then he said this, oh, it's a great verse. Listen to this. Jesus replied, your mistake is that you don't know the scriptures and you don't know the power of God. I read that yesterday morning, and I thought, that's the church today. You go on social media, or you turn on the TV, and there's a lot of people spewing what they believe, and they don't know the scriptures, and they've neglected the power of God. So I I don't want to do that. That's why I'm a lifetime learner, and that's that's why I'm in the Word every every day. I mean, this year I'm reading through. I'm, I'm in Genesis, and now and then I jump into the Gospels. I'm still in Matthew, and and then we go back. I'm finishing up Nehemiah now, and then I go back over to Acts. It's a plan I'm in, but but every time I read the Bible, I'm learning new because I, I don't want to be ignorant of the Scripture. I don't want just the way I grew up or or the things somebody taught me in a class to be why I live out my faith. And let me tell you what I don't want to do when I travel the world and I see God opening the hearts and the minds of people in amazing ways or here in Temple Terrace, Florida, and I see God revealing himself to Muslims through a vision and a dream. I don't want to put my God in a box and say what he can't do. I don't want to neglect the power of God. And so I want to study, as the scripture says, to show myself approved. And so that's what we're going to do today. 1 Corinthians 14 now, man, this church at Corinth, what a mess. I mean, can I just remind you who these jokers were that Paul's writing to? They had division in the church. All right, that's common even today. They had immorality. One guy had an affair with like a stepmother. They were divorcing and remarrying in a rampant way and had all kind of sexual sin. Listen to this unholy, ungodly practice. They were getting drunk on the communion wine. And then they were eat up with pride. They were pointing out celebrity pastors and saying, this guy's better than that guy. And so it hadn't formulated this way. It's kind of like today where you just, you have your flavor of the week. And so you just church hop. Because you're not going to stick somewhere strong. You're you're going to hear the guy that's, or the music or or whatever. And so it's kind of interesting when you hear folks like me say, we need to go back to the early church. Well, this early church was messed up. Let's not be like the church at Corinth. So here's what I want to do. I want us to pray and ask God to speak on this subject to us from this passage. Do you believe God still speaks today? Yeah. So let us ask that he would open our ears, our hearts, that he would free us from distractions. I mean, this is kind of a teaching message. You're going to be wanting to jot down some notes and follow along, and some of it's going to be pushed back to you. You're going to say, I don't know. Is that what I believe? And, and so we need we need to be receptive to what God is saying to us. And then when I end my prayer, I want us to pray together the Lord's Prayer, if you know it, the model prayer, because I think that has some real relevance to, to what we're going to talk about today. So let's pray together. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for the gift of this day. It's a day that you've made. It's cold here in Florida, but we rejoice nonetheless, and we're glad in it. And God, all our lives, you've been faithful, even as we battle illness and go through this disease that is rampant upon this earth. As we face the trials and the Challenges. You've been faithful. You're a good God. Oh, we love you, Jesus. But Lord, that does not neglect our need of you. We need you in our lives. We need our faith to come alive and to be awakened within us. And your church needs that globally, Lord. It's a sleeping giant. It needs revival. So let it begin here. Speak today. Give us ears and eyes and hearts and minds that are receptive to your message. Lord, just push this messenger out of the way. God, I I really desire that. I know my I know my weakness, my sinfulness, my lacking. So let the words I say and the thoughts I think in these moments be of you. And, and then Lord, we, we need life change. So help us to walk away different. Lord, I pray for that person that doesn't know you. I pray that even in this kind of unusual topic for our Sunday morning, that the gospel would be clear and that someone would come into a relationship with you. Draw them to you, Holy Spirit, today. And ultimately, we just want to grow in godliness. So Jesus, teach us more of you. Teach us even to pray as you taught your disciples when you prayed. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. And all God's people said. amen. Amen. Hi, I'm Paul Purvis, the lead pastor of Mission Hill Church right here in Tampa Bay. Thanks for taking the time to listen to today's The Barnabas Effect. The Barnabas Effect. That will direct you to a simple way that you can give right there online. Thanks again for listening to The Barnabas Effect today. And now we continue with our message. We've been talking about spiritual gifts. So let me just remind you of how we defined that term. Spiritual gifts are divine or God-given abilities that enable a follower of Christ to serve and to minister for the glory of God. So we believe that every Christ follower gets these gifts. Not all the same. We don't get them in the, the same order, in the same way. But every Christ follower at your spiritual birth, you're, you're given gifts that allow you to, to follow Christ in such a way that you can serve and minister for his glory. And, and yet we've discovered that for a lot of Christ followers, the, the only logical explanation of how the church is failing globally is that a lot of Christ followers have never unwrapped their gifts. Your heavenly Father has given you things that make an impact in your life and in His kingdom, and and yet some of you, you've not unwrapped your gifts. You're, You're a consumer, but you're not a distributor. You're not involved. A friend of mine came up to me at the end of last service, and he, he handed me a gift, and I'm always, I'm kind of embarrassed in those moments, so I, I quickly put that in my pocket, but I, I ran over between the services to uh, my office, and I pulled it out, and man, I love it. I mean, it, it, and I want to tell him again and again, because, you know, it's a generous gift, and, and that's what God's done for us, and and yet, for some, your your gifts are still wrapped. And so we need to unwrap them. And when you unwrap your, your gift, life's more enjoyable. You're more fulfilled. You're, you're living out your faith. And I'm just telling you guys, a lifetime around the church... A lot of you, you're not living out your faith. And the the people even in your home or around you, they they don't know that it's real. And and part of it's because you're not tapping into what he's given you. Because when you unwrap your gift, not only is life more enjoyable, but the church is always edified. It's making a difference. It's built up. And so in a season when literally around the world, the the church has been weakened by division and and by virus and, and by the hatred that's out there man, we need to be built up. We need folks like you to unwrap your gift because when you unwrap your gift, Jesus is always exalted. You're pointing others to him. People are beginning to understand what's most important to you. And and that's why in 1 Corinthians 12 and 13 and 14, Paul is, is talking to this messed up church in Corinth about their spiritual gifts. Now, some of you just had a light bulb go off because you heard me say 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 13 and 1 Corinthians 14 and you're thinking, wait a second, I know that, I know 1 Corinthians 13. What do we call that? The love chapter. And some of you, you you thought God gave us 1 Corinthians 13 so the preacher would have something to say at a wedding. He could read this beautiful passage on love and, and yet that's not the context. The context was to a messed up church who had gotten prideful, and some people were saying, my gift is better than your gift, and you should wish you had my gift. And Boy, I'm praying for you to one day you get this gift. And Paul would say, I don't care what you have. If you don't have love, it's meaningless. It's pointless. And that's how he begins chapter 14. Look at verse 1. Follow the way of love. So, again, I'm just going to tell you as we embark on this journey follow the way of love. Follow the way of love, church. Grow in your faith. Understand the scriptures. And then be able to express that, to be able to give a defense of your faith. But always do that in the context of love. And as you walk away today, ask God to help you as much as anything else. Follow the way of love. And eagerly desire spiritual gifts. So you, you should say, God, help me to know how you've gifted me. Help me unwrap the gifts that you've given me so that I, I can serve you. I desire to serve you. And then he says, especially the gift of prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God. Indeed, no one understands him. He utters mysteries with his spirit. But everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues. I'd rather you have prophecy. He who prophesies is greater than one who speaks in tongues unless he interprets so that, here it is again, the church might be edified. Now, let me give you a disclaimer, kind of like my mom did on that. 20-minute drive this is not intended to answer every question you have on this subject this is not a exhaustive or conclusive conversation there are very large books written on this topic and there are seminary classes in which the whole class is taught this topic for a semester no this is to give you a 30,000 foot view And to help you understand some things. I was in college when I first heard of the story of the blind men and the elephant. There's a poem that describes it. It begins this way. It was six men of Indistan to learning much inclined who went to see the elephant, though all of them were blind, that each by observation might satisfy his mind. And so I remember in this philosophy class in college, I'm saying that's kind of how we come to the world. We, we're we coming with our own understanding of truth because what happened is that one of the blind men kind of leaned up against the elephant's uh, torso and he thought, man, this is a nice wall. And an- another one of the blind men kind of ran into the elephant's tusk and he thought, whoa, that's a sharp spear. And then another one of the blind men felt that uh, that big What's it called? Trunk (laughs) of the elephant. And he said, now that's a huge snake. And another one of the blind men felt the tail of the elephant and said, "That's uh, that's a strong rope. Another one of the blind men leaned against one of the legs and said, now that's a tall tree. All of them seeing the same elephant coming out in a different way. That poem ends with these words. And so these men of Indostan disputed loud and long, each in his own opinion, exceeding stiff and strong, though each of them was partly in the right, and all were in the wrong. What I don't want us to do is to get in the wrong. There are going to be some different ways that you might look at these passages of Scripture. That's why this is one of those open-handed issues. But I'm going to do my best from a 30,000-foot view to help you maybe walk through this in a way rather than avoid it since it deals with this important topic in our faith. So, Paul begins in chapter 14 by addressing two specific gifts. Do you remember what they were? Prophecy and tongue. So, let me begin by reminding you in the scripture, prophecy is used in two different ways. In the Old Testament, primarily, it, it's used as foretelling telling what is going to happen. So the Old Testament prophet, you didn't have the Bible, the Old Testament prophet would get a revelation from God. He would stand before the people and says, thus saith the Lord. And then if it came true, he was a prophet of God. If it didn't come true, guess what? He was a false prophet and he was taken to the outskirts of town and stoned because it's not a good thing to be a false prophet. So In the New Testament, we begin to see prophecy take on an additional, somewhat different function. And that was just telling forth what God has already revealed. So you would have these... new testament prophets that are just proclaiming the truth of scripture so in a very real sense that's what we're doing today and every time you hear preaching or teaching of the word of god it's prophetic in that it's proclaiming this is what the lord has said but we know this we know that no prophet today as we have scripture is ever going to say something that's from god and yet contrary to god's word right so if someone says they have a word of prophecy over you what you're going to do is test it against god's word because that's a very dangerous thing listen to how the book ends revelation chapter 22 i warn everyone who hears the word of prophecy in this book if anyone adds anything to them god will add to him the plagues described in this book